Lauren, how are you doing? Oh, so good. Thanks for having me, Al. Hey, well, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining me to discuss uh, what I find an exciting topic. And it's something, obviously, it's in the name of Pafau, the future of work. And I have long been curious around how people analytics is going to influence the future of work and vice versa, how the future of work is going to influence, you know, our discipline. So uh, before I ask you to introduce yourself, um, if you join us, thank you uh, to answer your comments, questions in the chat, and we'll do our best to get to the questions that we can uh, during our discussion. But with that, Lauren, uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about uh, why we're talking about the future of work today. Sure. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my second time uh, on on this show. Um, I uh, am Lauren Wegman. I lead the people analytics team uh, at Twitter. Um, and my background is industrial organizational psychology, uh, where um, my focus area was uh, the future of work. And this was way back when before um, anyone was really talking about it. Uh, and so um, I've been in this space for quite some time now uh, and am excited to talk a little bit about kind of the theory and what we're seeing in the research and then some ways um, which uh, organizations uh, may be able to get ahead um, to uh, better prepare for the for the future, future of work, as the title shows. Um, I did, Al, if it's okay, I did want to just give a shout out to my amazing team, the, the brains and the, the brilliance behind all of the work that we do um, here at Twitter. Um, got a just absolutely amazing team. There they are. Uh, and comprised of data scientists, researchers, IO psychologists, analysts from a variety of different disciplines and backgrounds with the common goal of having a pulse on our workforce, past, present, and future, um, as well as uh, the added <laughs> added and quite difficult task at times, um, making sense out of varied and disparate data sources to uncover what's really happening, why, and what can we do about it. Um, so um, amazing team, uh, and um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of their work, um, I think, in this uh, in this conversation. Yeah, and absolutely. And, you know, thank you for starting there because I want to make it clear because uh, it's underappreciated, but the world is starting to catch up is people analytics and the insight that we generate through this discipline doesn't happen by magic. It doesn't happen because you bought a technology and all of a sudden it, it appears. So can you speak a little bit more about the team, you know, how it was built over your tenure there at Twitter? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so I have I've built people analytics teams um, at Twitter's now my my third kind of experience with this. Uh, coming to Twitter, I had a a team of four, um, and we have quickly uh, grown over the last three and a half years to um, what will be eighteen um, if all of our headcount goes through. So quite a lot of growth, quite a lot of change. Um, and, you know, I, I think of the reasons behind that, that fast growth and the reasons behind those investments. And it's been because we've been very successful um, at not just understanding the descriptives and, you know, um, making sense out of the data, but really um, enabling uh, uh, strategic decisions to be made based on that information. And so we, we definitely see ourselves as a strategic partner. Um, to our CLEs within HR, to the business, to leadership, 
Um, and my team has a wide remit. So um, we are organized into kind of three sub teams, as we call them. Um, on one side of the house is uh, people data science, and they're responsible for all of our data management, data engineering, piping data in and out of our data warehouse. Um, and they're also responsible for all of our um, HR related people and um, recruiting data visualizations and reporting. Um, so quite a, quite a broad, uh, quite a broad remit within that one sub team. Um, the, the next uh, the next one is uh, surveys and research. Um, and that is, I think, the most kind of traditional people analytics um, sub team there. So, you know, um, understanding what um, what excites our employees, why they like to stay at Twitter, um, maybe some things that we can do uh, better to make our workforce and our work experience even better than it is. Um, and then also the deep research uh, behind some of the um, survey initiatives. So, um, you know, and, and I, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but it's, it's not enough to just kind of conduct a, a survey and, and report out on, you know, the high level results. There's so much more information that can be gleaned from um, from any survey. Uh, and so that's what our, our research team um, does, as well as brings in external data to understand how we compare um, to the trends going on in the market. And then the last sub team is um, applied science. Uh, and that is um, really my um, kind of my background, which is uh, industrial organizational psychology. Um, and that is a powerhouse of a team um, that is really charged with building measurement and validation into everything that we do um, as a people team within um, within Twitter. So they work directly with our um, centers of excellence, our COEs, ensuring that um, every time we roll out a, a program or a, a, an initiative, that we have a measurement strategy, that we're using solid methods. Um, and we know the ROI of, of asking employees or managers uh, for data and for information. Yeah, I. I so celebrate what you shared and I do not want to get distracted because I want to just you know, jump into the, the future of work discussion, which is the, the theme. Uh, but I want to come back to the team at the end if we have time, uh, just because the systematic way you just described the capability, I think, is not only very thoughtful, it's immensely appropriate given the range of data that we're dealing with today and the diverse needs that we're serving within a diverse community within any organization. So yeah, thank you for sharing that and staging it. So I know you have these uh, you know, points. You wanna take us through um, how you're thinking about the, the future of work and your processes? Yeah, yeah. So um, I would like to, if it's okay, I'll take just a step back and talk about um, kind of what the future of work is in, in a nutshell and kind of the why behind why we're seeing changes in work and in workers in the workplace. And let's do that. <laughs> as, a, as a good uh, psychologist that I am, I, I like to focus on the theory first so we understand what's going on behind the hood, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so in thinking about changes that impact work and workers, there are actually different levels with um, different associated amounts of organizational control. So um, at the highest level, things like macro changes, right? Environmental, societal changes that organizations have little to no control over and little to no warning for, right? COVID, I think, is a really good example. Um, the rise in global competition, a slower trajectory, but I would also include that within this space as something that organizations um, needed to react to and needed to figure out a way, right, to get ahead of. Um, and then comes the micro level. So if the macro level is kind of the, the top, the micro, I would say, is kind of 
in the middle. And this is where companies, leaders, and organizations come into play. This is the space that we have control over. We can describe and design the physical work environment. We can organize the work. We can organize it in terms of, is it a a hierarchy? Is it anonymous teams? Is there cross-functional implications? Is it very independent work? And then we can also design the work itself, right? So thinking about what makes up a task or what makes up a project. Um, And so we call that uh, characteristics, right? Job characteristics, work characteristics. So I think a, a good example of one is you know, how many different skills are needed to successfully complete a task or a project. Um, and as employees can respond to that, the macro changes and the micro changes across time, what we start to see is we start to see the shifts in employee behavior. So for instance, thinking about employees deciding to work from home, the rise in dual income families, um, the, the, the trend in longer hours work, the trend in job hopping, all of these um, have kind of roots right in these macro and, and micro trends um, in the in the broader environment in the broader organization. And I won't um, I won't take up too much time here because I know that we talked at length about this last time. But from a research standpoint, you know the TLDR uh, is that work is more complex, um, and that this places significant demands on workers um, with likely negative uh, implications for things like mental health, physical health, and work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to, to kind of take that step back because it's, it's bigger than just one fix. It's bigger than just, hey, let's put this policy in place and you know everything will be good. And, and what um, the, the, the 10 points that, um, that Al, you flashed up there earlier, those are not designed to be end all be all by any means, but they are from at least a people analytics perspective, what I would recommend to um, invest in um, as uh, in, in order to really helps, uh, really help succeed uh, in kind of the next wave of, of future of work. Well, you know, thank you for that. And I'm smiling here because I love what you're saying so much. I can't even stand it <laughs> because it, it's something that I think is underappreciated. And let me call out just two things. Um, number one, the idea not only for systematic thinking, but systematic action. And so, yes, we can, you know, there's a variety of variables that are impacting the employee experience. For example, you mentioned, you know, well-being. Um, so there's not just one policy or one, you know, fix. And similarly, there's not just one analysis that's going to shed right. light on it. We have to right. continually investigate and stay in that compassionate curiosity. The other thing that I want to, you know, that I was smiling about is getting down to the work level uh, because, you know, there's been, particularly, and I think you and I talked about this before in one form, like I grew up in what I call the suck it up generation. There's just a bunch of work to get done, <laughs> throw it at you, you know, that's the just way have it to is. Do it. just got to do it. And fast forward, you know, behind me is Dr. Jeffrey Pfeffer's book, Dying for a Paycheck. There's Rob Cross's book, you know, Beyond Collaboration Overload. You know, it, it, people are suffering as a result because we've frankly, from a leadership perspective, have been lazy about crafting and designing work. And there's people have suffered. But now 
in my view, and I'd be interested in your take on this, it's irresponsible to not investigate what's happening and what levers can be pulled to improve the employee experience, improve productivity, innovation, all those good things. So, you know, with that as a staging, can you comment on specifically, is there a broad understanding of this beyond your team? I imagine, you know, as the leader of the team, your team gets it. But, you know, in terms of, yes, we push out insight on an ongoing recurring basis, you know, who's your audience for that? Do they understand the need for systematic change as well? Oh, I would, I would say yes. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky uh, to work with just amazing leaders and thought partners um, here at Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for their, their support and their input every single day. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why my team has grown so, so quickly too, as we were talking about in the beginning is the value that the data can bring. And it's not just the data. Um, there's a quote, uh, I might've shared this last time, but I just absolutely love it by um, Wayne Cassio around organizations are drowning in data, but starving for information. And I think that that's really the purpose of my team is to take all that data from this system, from that system, from over here, external, internal, and really pull it together to share not just the story that the data are telling, but how we can change the ending, right? And so I think that that takes past you know, analysis, current analysis. I think that that takes projections into the future and scenario planning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I am, I am really fortunate in, um, in my support network here at, at Twitter. Um, our main um, consumers, I, I, I should say, of our data really, honestly, is the whole company. And so we have some projects, we have some dashboards that go out to the entire company. Um, we have some dashboards that um, are just available for certain um, levels of the organization. And then in terms of kind of deep analysis, deep research recommendations, we're a very transparent company. Um, and we we share a lot of information with our tweets, as, as we call them, and our, um, you know, our, our survey results, our analyses, um, things that we've asked the entire workforce to, to take and to tell us what they're thinking. I feel it's an obligation to to tell them, you know, how the scores ended up, right? So, like, mm. am I if I if I know for a fact that I would rate, I don't know, autonomy, right, as really high, and then the scores come back and uh, there's kind of a mid score. Um, I think that's important for folks to really understand and and to think about their own jobs, right? And back to the characteristics of the jobs themselves. A really good way to get at some of those is from uh, surveys. Surveys asking questions that are a little bit different than mm -hmm. your typical engagement or experience survey. I, I I love it, and just the the idea that we are being very intentional with our asks and just not pr pressing reset on old engagement models and getting down to how, you know the nature of the work and how they feel about it and elevating that creativity not only at the systematic level, you know, what we're talking about, but also at the individual level so they can help design their their own work, right? So, you know, with that, I know we've teased this a couple times already. So I'll bring this, you know, back up. Do you want to walk us through this? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so again, this is, this is not the end all be all. This is um, more or less like top of mind of what um, I'm hearing, seeing and thinking um, and uh, advising companies and, and, and managers and leaders on how to invest for the future. 
uh, for the future future of work, I guess I should say. Um, and this is all from a people analytics perspective. Uh, so um, not um, not as broad sweeping as things like, you know, invest in flexible schedules and, and things of that nature. These are more around that systematic approach um, and how to continuously measure and pivot and adopt to the uncertainty or to the changes within the environment. Um, and so I'll take a kind of step by step and Al, you know, feel free, ask me any questions, love your thoughts on these as well, being, you know, an expert within this, this space yourself, would love, uh, would love your opinion too. Um, but uh, at the top, I have a data refresh probably very boring um, to, to some of you on this call, but it's just, it's so, so important. Um, and it's important for a few different ways. You know, I think of clean data as the foundation of HR. So um, with HR moving and continuing to move into um, increased need for data-driven decisions, you know, um, investigating um, or piloting AI, um, we are going to need clean data and we're going to need it to be readily available. Um, and so that kind of brings me to another point around like the data refresh is, are there processes that you or your, you know, HR function are running that could be combined, right? So think about if we are reaching out to managers to ask them to rate their direct performance, can we also ask them, hey, you know, is uh, what, um, when do you think this employee will be promotion ready? And we can um, we can take that information and start planning, right? So the more information we can get in kind of um, um, a more um, embedded framework, I think um, is really helpful in terms of not having those separate standalone events. Mm -hmm. um, and then my last point on here, something Al, you were saying earlier, um, within the uh, within the, the the survey space in particular, but also within any data collection measurement. We, we have to have the flexibility to revise questions and revise answer choices. And I know that that goes against, you know, psychometric best practices, and we need to keep everything the same for, for trending purposes. But when constructs are changing or when new constructs are emerging, we have to be able to measure them in real time and we have to be able to report on them. Um, some of the new constructs that came out of uh, kind of the COVID timeframe, right, was a focus on well-being and resilience and energy, um, but also with um, so much going on within the DEI space, you know, th thinking about different categories to understand the, the demographics and or are they more continuous than dichotomous as they've they've been in the past. So I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of change that will happen within the measurement and metric space, um, and I definitely think that it is. Um, already starting uh, and should just be built into kind of a regular practice of, of auditing and evaluating what's working and what's not. Yeah. I, if I might jump in there, right. There, I, you know, again, I, I've grown to like you, respect you, appreciate you. It, it's, but Thanks, actually there's no buts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the things that you, you and I are aligned on that I want to call out, which I would encourage every people analytics leader without exception to uh, explore is the need for appropriate data. So part of our magic, if you will, our expertise is built in, hey, you want this insight. So if you want that insight, then we're going to have to oftentimes create appropriate data because that data might not exist. I mean, I was in role, you were in role where we just had, we were customers of existing data sets. And we couldn't mm -hmm. do anything about them. And then we tried to make magic 
out of them and that doesn't work. We often have to go back, revisit, and that's where our creativity as analysts come in. So I would encourage everyone to, guys, get unencumbered for a bit, explore what's possible. And that's not only immensely valuable, it's fun. It, it's like you get closer to the heart of you know, what the levers are. So yeah. yeah, just I just want to emphasize that point because I, I think it's underappreciated. So thank you. Oh, it's so true. No, thank you. Great, um, a great emphasis, and yeah, totally uh, plus one. <laughs> So we got this back up. So I, I keep teasing people with it. So I'm going to leave it up for a bit. <laughs> um, All right. So number two, I, and I touched on this a little bit earlier too, connecting your survey initiatives. You know, by now, many organizations have solid employee listening or employee um, survey foundations. You know, uh, this is not a new concept, right? Guys, is job satisfaction surveys in the 80s and 90s, then moving into engagement in the 2000s, and now this concept of um, employee experience and life cycle surveys. Um, and I think all of that is 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 good and should continue. Um, but what I would recommend uh, changing is actually the analysis of the survey data. Um, so most organizations that I talk to like to take a survey as its own program and analyze that survey. And then another survey comes out, we analyze that one. And then another one comes out and we analyze that one. And we show, you know, some trends over time and some, you know, ups and downs of different items. But what we're missing is really connecting the dots among those surveys to to tell the story of the different milestones and the impacts on the employee. So for instance, you know, how does high levels of company pride at day one impact company commitment at one year? And those are the types of questions that you can't ask in one survey. And those are the types of questions that you need that solid survey foundation in order to understand. And these are the questions that are really going to be differentiators um, within the competitive landscape, in my opinion. When you share that, is that part of your quote unquote employee listening strategy, employee experience strategy? What's the naming convention that you apply to that? Yeah. So on my team, it, uh, we, we, we like it simple. Uh, we, so we stick with um, service and research. Okay. Got it. And that's, and the reason I asked too, do you actually, do you have an employee experience uh, function there? Um, so that's a little bit of a long story. Um, we do, <laughs> we do. I, um, I used to report directly, uh, to our head of employee experience. Um, and then she became our, uh, CHRO. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, she's an amazing woman, Delana Brand, um, just amazing leader. All right. Well, yeah, thank you. Cause it's, you know, the, sometimes we paint ourselves in corners with our naming conventions and understanding, you know, what is what and what's not. So that's, th that's yeah. the impetus for the, or just that's the reason for the question, but uh, yeah, continue. This is great. <laughs> okay. Um, so then number three, I'm recommending a focus on skills um, that this to me uh, is the common language connecting each job, each JD, each resume, um, each uh, competitor, right? So that we can try to compare as apples to apples as possible. And this allows for, from an employee perspective, right? Better career pathing, promoting internal transfer. So for example, you know, if I want to move into data science, I need to learn, you know, X skill in order to fill the gap to be successful within that space. It, from a competitive standpoint, you can look at, you know, your your company's profile of skills and then your competitor's profile of skills and start to ask questions like, why 
is this competitor seeking so many you know why skills and it, do i already have the why skills are they potentially you know looking to me as a source for gaining these skills or do i not have these and they potentially could have some um some strategy or some insight that we've missed uh, so I think that it's it's really important from from multiple angles. And the, the last one I'll just hit on really quick is sourcing and hiring, right? So where are we most likely to find this uh, this Z skill, right? Where is it the most prevalent? Um, and how quickly do we think we can hire, onboard, and train if this is a skill that um, you grow into? Um, and, you know, this is a, I think that this is a newer opportunity looking at external data sources and the vendors um, within this space are becoming more um, advanced. And so I, I do think that this will become easier to do in terms of skills mapping and skills library in the near future. All right, well, let's talk about that. And for, if you're joined us, we are going to go past the bottom of the hour uh, for a little bit, just given the, the nature of the discussion. So um, I want to uh, set expectations accordingly. This topic is not only really important, uh, I think we need to understand that we as people analytics professionals not only need to be good analysts, but we need to be good shoppers, to your point, of data and insight that is outside of our organization. And we can go through the list of vendors, but my pointed question to you is, a lot of times this talent market data or labor market data resides within talent acquisition or workforce planning, but it has applications and location strategy and on down the line it's are you uh, is it um housed or owned so to speak in another um organization or are you quote unquote the owner of the acquisition of those types of technologies yeah um so we uh we are responsible for part of it um, and we 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 are responsible for bringing on tools and vendors that you know we need in order to do our job um but um we have a labor economist uh, on the research team uh, who is really responsible for that like external looking and uh, you know helping us with a competitive analysis um, and she does the the heavy lifting in terms of the data the analysis she the predictive modeling um, the projections and then we share that information with our location strategy team with our sourcing team and so it becomes a little bit of a um uh, a um, kind of got different. Uh, we broke it up, I guess, into different um, purposes, so that it's not a centralized. Uh, it's not a centralized approach. Um, it does require a ton of collaboration and, and communication. And and honestly, that's one of the things I really like about Twitter uh, is um, we like to collaborate. We we like to uh, learn what other teams are doing. We like to try our hand in different things. And I think that that leads to you know experimentation and. Um, uh, a little bit of a, a a lot of learning, you know. Um, yeah. There's never there's never a a collaboration event or um, you know some type of work stream where we're bringing all these cross functional partners together that you don't learn something or or look at something from a different perspective. So we're pretty happy. Well, I mean that's fantastic, and thank you for sharing because I, I would hope, and this is me projecting my bias, so I'll own this, that people analytics teams, quote unquote own the external data and the internal data, that there's not competing narratives going upwards and confusing. Oh, there, yes. there needs to yes. be alignment there. So, you know, thank you for sharing. So, you know, back to our story. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, actually, you hit on number four, right? Looking externally. 
Um, so, you know, um, how are we expecting the external market to influence our business and our talent? And um, it's more than benchmarking, as we were talking about before. And it's more than just an external focus, which I think of people analytics as, um, you know, in the, the kind of the earlier uh, years of people analytics was very much an internal focus on the internal data. But we, we need to have that much insight on the external um, external data, external trends as well. And as uh, Al, as you were saying, like the initiatives that can be, um, uh, can, can use this type of information are things like work, uh, workforce planning, location strategy, headcount planning, um, retention, competitive analysis. I mean, you name it, it it's, it's super, uh, super valuable, uh, insight and, and strategic information. And, you know, sometimes just being a, ahead of your peers, even by a really small amount can go a long way in terms of outcomes that we care about, like employee well-being, retention, employer voice, et cetera. So um, even if it doesn't feel like a step change or, you know, a, a, a large, um, a large realization, a large insight, every small step, I think, makes a difference. Yeah. Well, you mentioned workforce planning. Uh, does that reside within your group or is that a separate group? Uh, so that is that is um, our labor economist provides the like projections for the workforce planning um, team, but it, it's also spread out across um, not just across HR. Uh, so we have we have folks who um, uh, who are in finance, right? Who are driving like headcount planning, and so it's it's really becomes an exercise in in sharing the insights and the analysis from my team with. Uh, the the business or the, uh, the the HR COE who need that as input in order to do their you know do their job and 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 so to your to your point earlier Al about kind of not having um, different analyses right or different projections going to you know the, the, the same business owner um, that we we control for that but we still have the ability to have that collaboration because the analysis piece and the data come from my team um, and then the um, insights and recommendations in terms of where they need to you know increase heads or increase spend or look at this you know look at this location that is then um, um, that is then executed right and um, and cited by um, the COE or the business. Okay. And you know, <laughs> I would like to talk about that, like in a podcast with you, or to just, we're going to have to come back to that because, uh, and again, just to set this um, up for those who are you know listening and will listen to it afterwards, is this, is that workforce planning increasingly is not only about, you know, headcount planning and making sure we're bringing in the right people externally. Um, it's you know, factoring in internal mobility, uh, disruptions from robotic automation, artificial intelligence, and, and so forth. So, you know, the fact that you have a cohesive set of processes, and again, I imagine we're all learning, so I don't want to put you forward like everything's perfect. So we're all learning and creating as we go. But at the same time, when we talk about the future of work, you know, this is straight towards that, it sounds like. Is that you know, a fair way to bridge the gap between workforce planning and the future of work. So you're more creative and crafting the future of work as opposed to it being imposed upon you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that's the, the, the really big kind of mind shift, right? So as we're thinking about the, the theory of 
kind of these changes, right? And with the unprecedented changes that are facing us today, we would expect then that employee behavior um, and um, um, employee attitudes are changing at an exponential rate, you know, as well. Um, and, you know, I think that understanding what those macro and those micro level changes are gives us insight into not just how we can respond, because I, I actually think that historically organizations have focused on changes in the macro environment um, as obstacles to, to overcome. And I think the mind shift change is that we have to focus on these changes as an opportunity and as something that will give us a competitive advantage and will give us a foot up. Um, and so that is, um, that's what we're looking for. When we, we go out, we look for our, you know, the, the trends in the macro environment, the trends within the company. What can we do from a, a job design? What can we do from a workforce design, um, a, a workforce planning that can, that can not just help or buffer, but will actually help us thrive. Yeah, gosh, <laughs> I'm just going to keep complimenting you. I just got to get over it. <laughs> so, here, take us. I think we're what, we're at five or we're at five. Yeah, I think we're at five. Um, but Al, actually, we were um kind of on the on on seven in terms of understanding employee movement. That was that was a little bit about what you were talking about. So why don't I take that um real quick since it's it's pretty related, right? You were you were talking about um, how you under, like, we, we need to understand the trends in the workforce. We need to understand the, the lateral moves, right? Um, and uh, many um, organizations who invested within the people analytics space, they start kind of their modeling um, baby steps, right, with, um, with attrition, right? Core outcome for the company easily tied to dollars. Uh, and so then once that attrition model is checked, right, you, you, you know, you, you keep it updated, you validate it, et cetera. But we've got to look for other things that we can predict that are meaningful to the organization and to employees. And so bringing in employee movement, bringing in things like promotions, bringing in things like lateral, uh, lateral moves, you know, I think understanding career paths and in common or organic trajectories really can aid in career development. And sometimes it's the small things about a company that really keep your higher performers and not the kind of broader sweeps of, you know, a, a, of the company or of the company culture. So it can just be, I have a very specific career path and I know that others have gotten there, you know, through this. And um, I know what skills I have to work on going back to the skills. Um, and so this is kind of where uh, I was talking a little bit earlier about the, the, the input into programs. So say that you have a, um, a model predicting promotions. So along with asking, you know, managers and leaders, like who we should consider for promotions this round, the predictive modeling could actually supply a list of potential viable candidates for promotion consideration, which I think is a huge step in terms of equity as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to stop interrupting you because, but yes, yes, and yes. That's all I'll say to that. <laughs> um, well, I can, I can keep, I can keep going. Let me know if this, uh, if I get too long winded. Okay, Al? No, you're good. I, we're, 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 we're totally fine. So we're you, you keep okay. going. All right. So I'm um, hopping back to qualitative data. Um, you know, many organizations that I've, I've talked to are really sitting on a treasure trove of rich and detailed and highly likely 
highly useful information. However, it's in open-ended and free-form text. Um, so tools can help with making sense of this data if you can't invest within you know, a, a data scientist or NLP. Um, but this is where you would get to ask questions like, you know, are our job descriptions gender neutral? Um, are, is the job description and the candidate that we offer the job similar in terms of those skill sets? You can even parse out historic um, JDs, historic resumes, and um, kind of jumpstart that st skill collection library that we were that we were talking about too. So, um, a ton of opportunities in there, not just to um, you know. Get, um, glean color, right, for your your survey um, responses, but to, to really answer some of these questions that you can't answer with quantitative methods alone. Right. Nah, I certainly celebrate that. It goes back to, you know, appropriate data, and we won't know unless we investigate it. So, yeah, no, thank you for sharing. Yeah. So number six is around um, validating HR processes. So another one that doesn't sound as exciting, um, but you know, you think about historically HR's bread and butter uh, and it's designing and implementing and maintaining HR programs and, and processes. And, you know, thinking about where we are today and thinking about where we could be tomorrow, that's not enough. You know, we have to and we I would add we regularly have to validate to ensure whatever our initiative is, is measuring what it's supposed to measure in a valid and a reliable way and is not subject to bias. Um, and there's a whole field that can that can help with this, um, and it's uh, it's the IO psychologist. Uh, IO psychologist. Um, this uh, this field um, has been doing this type of work since the 1920s. Uh, so quite a wealth of information uh, and uh, insights across that time period. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing because yeah, IO psychologist, and I know PSYOP has been I would say struggling with this because that's not. Uh, uh, Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychologists. Uh, you know, you have the applied, and you have the academics, and you know, there's compliments there. There's sometimes arguments, as you well know. <laughs> that makes uh, it interesting, right? <laughs> it makes it interesting, but the the application of the hundred years of that work is now scalable it's now implementable it's not just you know in a binder somewhere or in a book somewhere we, we can actually make good use of it so that's certainly worth highlighting couldn't agree more yeah um all right so we talked about number seven so i'll hop into number eight here um around understanding informal networks so while I would still say it's relatively difficult to get the data to do this. Uh, again, vendors can be helpful and have come a long way in this space. But um, at the the core of this is if we if we spend time analyzing just this relationship to this variable and this variable's relationship with this variable, we're missing you know what what I would say is like ripple effects, right? Ripple effects of things that impact more than just one node or one group. So things like um, organizational uh, decisions, uh, things like communication and communication gaps. And what about what about managers and how or whom they're communicating to? And with being in a virtual environment, this makes um, this makes the, the the capturing of this data even easier. But take this example. Um, I, I like this a lot because um, I think this is a relatively um, uh, relatively new in, in thinking about this, but um, 
say you have a low performer um, and they're um, they're low performing, they keep getting poor, you know, poor performance scores. Maybe they're actually not in the loop of the communication channel. Maybe they are somehow left out. And so they're not getting the information that they need in order to successfully perform. Uh, and so you would handle a true low performer who is getting the information that they need to perform and a you know, quote unquote, low performer who isn't connected um, into that, 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 that network, you would treat those two things very differently, right? The solve would be different. Uh, so I think that that's how we have to start to think about um, the, the, the network analysis is in terms of, you know, I think it, it, the, the classic example, right, is, hey, I'm a manager and here are my employees, right? And if I leave, what's the imp- for them and beyond that into how are we how are we classifying and how are we thinking about people and what are the different levers that we can use in order to influence the the behaviors and make it a healthier workplace a better environment um, a better performance etc yeah thank you for highlighting that because I could not only agree more but in terms of uh, bang for a buck, so to speak. It's such a huge opportunity that has been under uh, served, in my view. Um, let me just pause there. Would you agree with that? The network analysis? Yeah. 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 And, and taking action on the network analysis. Yes. So, yes. you know, facilitating onboarding, facilitating, you know, uh, promotion effectiveness, you know, getting up to speed quicker, uh, you know, building that relationship equity that, you know, in a systematic, intentional way, as opposed to just hoping it works out. (laughs) So, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I celebrate that it's in your domain of study, you know, that you are looking at it vis-a-vis all these other, uh, you know, variables and, and insights, because, you know, it, it affects inclusion, it affects, you know, performance, it affects all these factors. So, you it know. affects everything. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's only really taken off uh, in the, you know, the last 10, 15 years or so. Um, yeah. And so there's a ton that we don't know yet about that method. And there's a ton of research questions that we can continue to ask. I'm going to give a shout out to Rob Cross right now. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I love that one. That's a yeah. great book. And uh, Michael Arena, Adaptive Space, and you know what they're doing at Connected Commons. And it's just, it's an amazing field because we all, after all, we're relational beings, right? We, we draw exactly. one another's energy like you and I are doing right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and we're almost through this list. Uh, so we are. We're making we progress. We are. And- <laughs> so uh, number nine, uh, and Al, as you were talking about equity, right, um, and and equality, um, I just have uh, assess equity, and I, and I think that you know I think it's a good step in the right direction for annual pay equity assessments, but that's really only table stakes um, in the near future, and we've got to build out a more cohesive uh, and more detailed kind of equity. Um, analysis plan, looking at things like pay at higher, pay with promotion, promotion frequency, velocity of promotion, um, performance equity, and you know the list can can continue and continue. But that's really the only way that we're going to understand those potential differences in in pay that your annual equity analysis could could uh, could uncover. And I think of that as pay is kind of the the end all be all, it's the most distal outcome. And so if we understand the the inputs into pay a bit better and look for equity there, um, I think that we will have um, 
a kind of more well-rounded approach to assessing equity. Now, do you use a specialized tool to facilitate that? Or is that something that you and your team do uh, just based on the analytical tool that you have access to already? Yeah, so um, for the uh, for the information that we publish externally, um, we do have an external labor economist run the analyses to to keep um, to keep it separate, um, mm-hmm. which I would also say is best practice and would recommend it to, to anyone who is who is considering that practice. Um, and then internally, yeah, we um, we use a variety of different statistical. Um, tools. Uh, we've got some folks who will analyze in Python, some in R, uh, some in SPSS. Um, and uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it's uh, in-house. You get the syntax, you get the code. Um, and a lot of um, another best practice, I would say, is if you're kind of taking on this or any type of analysis, do write the code, do save the syntax, um, because then if you want to run this quarterly, if you want to run this annually, you'll be able to do that a lot quicker. Yeah, love it. And that brings us to, I believe, number 10. And uh, it seems like it's (laughs) (laughs) self-serving. I'm a little biased here, Al. I'm going to admit it. But, you know, if you think about it, um, if you've got all these other, you know, one through nine, so you've got clean and up-to-date data, you're looking at the big picture in terms of employee attitudes, you're understanding why employees are moving, why they join, why they leave, and the impact of you know, the changes on the external labor market and on your workforce, you are really at a place where you have a great amount of data to better understand your workforce than ever before. And so I'll go back to my, you know, my, my Wayne Cassio quote around organizations drowning in data, but starving for information. You've got all this additional now data got all these additional insights. How do you pull it together? How do you, do you prioritize it? How do you know where you should act first? And that's where I think people analytics really comes into play is um, under, uh, understanding how organizations can make sense out of all of that and not just knowing where you stand today, but predicting where we'll be tomorrow. Well, you know, with that, yeah, we'll start to wrap up. And I want to just highlight, because I mentioned we'll come back to teams, because uh, investing people analytics, yes, it means investing in technologies. It means investing in people. Sometimes it means investing in data that's outside the organization. So again, it doesn't come for free. Anything that you want to add on on top of that because many have just implemented a a core hr system or an ats or something where are my insights and the idea that hey there's more much more that needs to be done you know i get frustrated it's like you know what's the business case for this what's the i mean what's the business you know what are the risks of not doing this you know and the risks of not doing this i think that's a really good question that's a really good question. And for those, you know, just kicking off an initiative, just, you know, getting your feet wet within the space, just having implemented a new HRIS, a new ATS, it takes time. You know, it, it, you can't just you can't just hit, you know, go and then have insights available that day, that week. It takes it takes a lot of time. And the more historic data that you have internally as well as externally um, will help you be able to understand and predict trends in the future um, with greater accuracy. 
than if you only had even just one year of data. So the more, uh, the longer, um, all of that will lead to more accurate and more appropriate insights and, and recommendations. And so it, it really does take time, which is why it's important to invest now, uh, at least in my opinion, um, to, to um, set up um, your organization for those potential, you know, um, unprecedented changes that are, uh, you know, very readily available <laughs> within the yeah. work environment. <laughs> well, yeah, as we do wrap, I, I want to ask this uh, in closing, because you, know, you have grown the team. I imagine your team is going to continue to grow and shift and move, you know, over the years to come. Uh, and you also highlighted the fact that there's an a diverse array of ways to enter the profession, uh, the, the profession <laughs> and, you know, add, add value. So if you're going to coach uh, people, students or early career professionals who aspire to be people analytics leaders someday, you know, what would you say to them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not one method. There's not one career path. And when I'm looking to hire folks on my team, I purposefully, uh, interview uh, and consider a variety of different backgrounds that are outside of, of IO psychology that we talked about. Um, on my team, we've got uh, you know traditional data science, uh, traditional engineering, but um, we also have um, researchers and, and analysts who have come up through other avenues. We've had um, um, some folks who branched into the, to the team who were in recruiting or in sourcing, uh, in um, executive sourcing, and kind of ca came in kind of through that route. And um, it always just brings a different, it brings a different perspective, and it brings different research questions with which to look at and, and ask. And so I would say if you're starting out, um, you're already at a better spot than the, <laughs> when I was back at schools, we didn't have courses on, um, you know, people analytics or HR analytics or BI. Um, and so, you know, do invest in it while you're, you know, while you're in school, if you do have that opportunity. Um, and then, there's a ton of you know free courses if you want to do a data boot camp if you want to learn coding, um, but but yeah I think that it it really to me it really comes down to where's your passion if your passion is people analytics and you show you know entry level skills I can take that and I can train you um, and that's really um, but you need that passion right in order yeah. to stick with it. Yeah well it's well thank easy. you for that <laughs> yeah I, I I I agree if you have the basic you know quantitative and qualitative, you know, that, that insatiable curiosity and willingness to learn and, and take appropriate action on, on that learning, I think, you know, to rephrase what you shared, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more because there's a lot of energy and creativity required to do our work. So, Lauren, thank you so much. How can people learn more about you and what you're up to there? Other than yeah. listen to the, you know, the <laughs> well, yeah, um, feel free to uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at, at um, PeoplePhD. All right. Well, hey, uh, I thank you. Um, I also am extraordinarily excited to be with you in person in two weeks' time there in Atlanta. Uh, so, we're going to do a Val Connect down there. So, uh, we'll tweet out and uh, you know do what we do but yeah super appreciate you sharing if you asked a question and we weren't able to get to it i will uh, follow up i'll talk to lauren and we'll, we'll follow up uh, directly so thank you all for joining thank you for participating and again lauren thank you for being your awesome self and uh sharing today thank you for having me appreciate right. it
You be well. All right. Talk to you.